Well, please turn with me in our Bibles this evening to Leviticus chapter 17. Leviticus chapter 17, and this is on page 96 in the Church Bibles. And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to Aaron and his sons and to all the people of Israel, and say to them, This is the thing that the Lord has commanded. If any one of the house of Israel kills an ox or a lamb or a goat in the camp, or kills it outside the camp and does not bring it to the entrance of the tent of meeting, to offer it as a gift to the Lord in front of the tabernacle of the Lord, blood guilt shall be imputed to that man. He has shed blood, and that man shall be cut off from among his people. This is to the end that the people of Israel may bring their sacrifices that they sacrifice in the open field, that they may bring them to the Lord, to the priest at the entrance of the tent of meeting, and sacrifice them as sacrifices of peace offerings to the Lord. And the priest shall throw the blood on the altar of the Lord at the entrance of the tent of meeting, and burn the fat for a pleasing aroma to the Lord. So they shall no more sacrifice their sacrifices to goat demons after whom they whore. This shall be a statute forever for them throughout their generations. And you shall say to them, any one of the house of Israel or of the strangers who sojourn among them, who offers a burnt offering or a sacrifice and does not bring it to the entrance of the tent of meeting to offer it to the Lord, that man shall be cut off from his people. If any one of the house of Israel or of the strangers who sojourn among them eats any blood, I will set my face against that person who eats blood and will cut him off from among his people. For the life of the flesh is in the blood, and I have given it for you on the altar to make atonement for your souls. For it is the blood that makes atonement by the life. Therefore I have said to the people of Israel, No person among you shall eat blood, neither shall any stranger who sojourns among you eat blood. Anyone also of the people of Israel, or of the strangers who sojourn among them, who takes in hunting any beast or bird that may be eaten, shall pour out its blood and cover it with earth. For the life of every creature is its blood, its blood is its life. Therefore I have said to the people of Israel, you shall not eat uh, the blood of any creature, for the life of every creature is its blood. Whoever eats it shall be cut off. And every person who eats what dies of itself and what is torn by beasts, whether he is a native or a sojourner, shall wash his clothes and bathe himself in water and be unclean until the evening. Then he shall be clean. But if he does not wash them or bathe his flesh, he shall bear his iniquity. <clears throat> if we had a time machine and we could go back into the past, if we had a time machine and we went back to the time period of the Old Testament, if you were able to go back 
and to live in this time of Moses and the Israelites living in the wilderness, what do you think would stand out the most to you? You would see a great company uh, out in the wilderness. In the center of that great host of people, there would be a tent, that tabernacle, that mobile uh, meeting place where the people met with their God. But what do you think would stand out most about your experience of going from the 21st century to going back uh, to the time period of Moses? Perhaps what would stand out the most is the blood. Most of us have not slaughtered animals. Most of us see very little blood on a day-by-day basis. But here, as we've been going through the book of Leviticus, we hear the language of blood all the time. Uh, 87 times in the book of Leviticus, it mentions blood. We are told about different sacrifices, blood sacrifices, animal sacrifices that are being conducted. There are different rituals, sprinkling of blood on the altar and in front of the, the veil or in front of the curtain to the tabernacle. All the mention of blood. There's the smell of the blood. Not only are sacrifices being offered every single day, but you have the smell of it as well. Uh, Part of the reason why there was those uh, uh, incense offerings and the frankincense and things was to try and uh, atone for, to cover some of that smell. But you would have the smell of blood with sacrifice after sacrifice taking place. And as we come to our passage this evening, you see that there is all these requirements about the proper handling of blood, how uh, blood was to be handled, which can raise the question, as Israel is being taught all these instructions about blood, did they even understand what they were doing? Did they get it themselves? And if they did, what was the significance to all of these rituals? What was the focus on the blood? This evening, we want to see that the people of Israel were to understand the importance of blood because God was teaching them and explicitly telling them the importance of the blood. And we want to look at how the blood is the way in which they can have atonement. That the way in which they worship God is by his commandments. And the way that God commands to be worshipped is through the blood. That atonement happens through blood. And so this evening, we want to look at this chapter, which might uh, leave us scratching our heads. Why, why do we need to study these topics about blood? We want to be able to appreciate the proper handling of blood, how Israel was to handle blood rightly, and why. And so we want to look at it in those two thoughts. But as we come to look at this uh, chapter this evening, uh, where the mention of blood is recurring, it mentions it uh, 13 times. This chapter really breaks down into four sections, and you can see those sections uh, because there's a uh, repeated refrain each time where it says, anyone of the house of Israel. The first section there begins in verse 7, and it's talking about the proper location for sacrifices, where the blood sacrifices were to take place. It was at the place of the Lord's choosing, at the tabernacle. Uh, The second section deals with ascension offerings. Uh, where these offerings could be uh, offered up. The third section deals with prohibitions against eating blood itself. 
And the final section deals with handling of blood. Uh, what to do when one comes across an animal that has died, either from hunting or just uh, 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 finding a carcass. But we want to look at how uh, the people of Israel were being taught to exercise great care in their handling of the blood. Well, first we want to think about how they were taught uh, to do so. Uh, first, it was in the, the handling of blood in terms of where the animals were slaughtered. It says there, uh, the Lord spoke to Moses saying, speak to, the people, uh, to Aaron and his sons and to all of Israel and say to them, this is the thing that the Lord has commanded. If anyone of the house of Israel kills an ox or a lamb or a goat in the camp or kills it outside the camp and does not bring it to the entrance of the tent of meeting to offer it as a gift to the Lord, a blood guilt shall be imputed to that man. Uh, the animals that are mentioned here uh, are animals that were all acceptable or suitable for sacrifice. The ox, the lamb, the goat, those were all uh, sacrificial animals. And so here the, the instruction is, is that the sacrifices were to be done at the tabernacle. Uh, they were to be done at the place where the Lord had appointed. And this was teaching the people not to, do, uh, not to offer sacrifice out in the open field. Uh, they were to be done rather in, uh, uh, at the place of drawing near to the Lord, which expresses their relationship with the Lord. This is where the Lord meets them, uh, at the tent of meeting. But it is at the tabernacle uh, that the blood would be applied to the altar, and the fat would be uh, uh, burned, and it would become a pleasing aroma to the Lord. But this instruction really served to guard against idolatry. It was meant to guard against syncretism. And you notice that it's actually explicit there that the, they shall no more sacrifice their sacrifices to the goat demons uh, after whom they whore. That the people of Israel would have been uh, very much susceptible to blending uh, their beliefs with the neighbors around them and simply beginning to blend different religions together. So when the Lord tells them you're to offer your sacrifices to the Lord only at the tabernacle, it actually is a guard that prevents them from blurring those lines between who are they ultimately worshiping. Uh, they're not to be worshiping, it says, the goat demons. Um, in the ancient world, the gods were sometimes represented uh, in animal form. Uh, in Egypt, there was a god that was represented as a human with uh, uh, a ram for a, uh, a ram's head. Uh, and uh, that may have been what was being insinuated here. But the point is, is that Israel could easily start to blend their beliefs with the neighbors around them. Where they think, we know we have to sacrifice to God. And really what's important is, is that we are worshipping. It doesn't matter who it is ultimately as long as we're doing the act of worship. To think that all religions are basically teaching the same thing. You remember even when Israel was in the wilderness, when Moses was up on the mountain, it tells us that when Israel didn't know where Moses was, that Aaron crafted the, the golden calf, a calf that was to represent the Lord. And it tells us that the people were instructed to worship the Lord as he was represented to them as a calf. And so there is this association or this tendency to kind of blend together uh, different beliefs 
even in worship. And so part of the reason why Israel was being told about how to handle the blood in a certain way, where the sacrifices are to be done, was to help Israel not to be vulnerable to turning towards idolatry. If they're out in the open field, then it doesn't really uh, mean anything about who it is that they are worshiping. But when they come to the tabernacle, it's clear that they are identifying themselves in covenant relationship with the Lord. And so part of this is a a protective measure, uh, but it is also uh, challenging the people because this is ultimately what the people were doing. Uh, There in verse 7, it is the uh, inference that the people were, uh, had gone after other gods. And it says there, after whom they whore. That like in a a marriage uh, relationship where one party breaks the trust of that marriage vow. Here, Israel is being described as going after other gods. After they had promised and committed themselves to the Lord himself. They are being unfaithful by turning uh, ultimately uh, to other forms of worship and thinking that these are uh, all valid and the same. So the Lord is ultimately uh, directing them as to how uh, they are to come before him in worship. So that's the first way in which they were to exercise great care, where the blood sacrifice was to take place, at the entrance of the tent of meeting, at the tabernacle where the Lord would meet with his people. The second uh, uh, thing is with respect to the offerings. And you notice there in verses 8 and 9 that it's a universal command. It applies not just to the Israelite, but also to the sojourner living amongst them. The tabernacle was to be kept, uh, to keep true worship as commanded by the Lord and to keep it distinct from their neighbors. The third uh, is that they were prohibited from eating blood. You see that in verses uh, 10 and following. If any of the house of Israel or any of the sojourners who sojourn among them eats any blood, I will set my face against that person who eats the blood and will cut him off from among his people. Imagine tomorrow you go to the uh, grocery store and you see someone that you know. And just as you raise your hand to wave to them, they look at you and then they turn around. You would get from that bodily gesture Uh, assuming uh, they did see you, assuming that they recognized you. If they turn their back on you, if they turn their face away from you, it is saying something. It It is showing something of an alienation. It's showing something of an estrangement. Instead of greeting you favorably, they're turning away from you, saying there is no peace between us. There is no, there is no fellowship between us. But here the Lord says that he will turn his face away from his people if they eat the blood. Five times in Leviticus, it will use that language of the Lord turning his face away. Four of them will be about idolatry. That it it, it expresses an estrangement or a separation uh, between God and his people if they would so choose this way. The other one is about a direct refusal to obey God's commandments. So a a direct refusal uh, of obeying the Lord. But here, uh, this language of the Lord turning his face uh, against them is really the opposite of God's blessing. You remember the Arionic blessing, the Lord bless you, the Lord uh, keep you, the Lord make his face to shine upon you 
and be gracious unto you. What that blessing was communicating is, is as the Lord's face shines upon someone, it is the idea of God's favor and blessing. But to say the Lord was going to turn his face away from them is communicating the opposite of blessing. It's to communicate God's judgment, the removal of God's blessing to those who mishandle the blood by consuming it. And so the people here were to come away understanding that the blood is something that is not to be mishandled. It is not to be eaten, for the life is in the flesh. The final way in which they were warned about how to properly exercise care in the handling of blood is with regards to coming across an animal or when they were hunting. If they were hunting something like quail or deer, uh, they were clean animals. They were allowed to eat them. But they had to spill the blood and then to cover it with earth. No explanation is given. But most likely the reason is, is to prevent that blood from being used for all uh, other reasons. Uh, in other words, they're taking measures uh, even uh, in that regards to protecting the blood. What was the significance of the blood? And did Israel understand uh, the significance of the blood? And the answer is, is they did. They understood the blood was significant because the Lord tells them explicitly in verse 11. And this evening we want to zero in on verse 11 to see why the handling of blood is so important. It says, For the life of the flesh is in the blood, and I have given it uh, for you on the altar to make atonement for your souls. For it is the blood that makes atonement by the life. Sandwiched in between two warnings in verses 10 and 12 about the mishandling of blood is the explanation about why they need to be so careful about the blood. Because the blood represents the life. We recognize that. Because we understand that if we don't have blood, we can't live. We need blood in order to live. Sometimes, uh, especially young people, uh, when they have a scrape on the knee, maybe they're biking and they, they have a, a first bad scrape and they look down, sometimes kids can uh, go woozy. Uh, they can almost faint, uh, maybe they do faint, when they look and they see blood because something's not right. They're alarmed at the sight of blood. Blood is important for us to live, but it's a good thing that our body is constantly producing blood cells so that we can live. But the blood represents the life. And here Israel was to understand, handle the blood with great care because the blood represents life. And the Lord here explains the value of that life is derivative of the fact that it belongs to God and it is to be honored according to his will. So they were to uh, handle the blood uh, with care because the blood represented life. But more importantly, because the lifeblood makes atonement. It says, the Lord uh, himself says, I myself have given it to you on the altar to make atonement for your lives. The Lord has given it in his, uh, as the sovereign owner of that lifeblood, and it is to be used in the way that he himself has commanded. To misuse the blood, then, of a life source meant that you would bear the responsibility of distorting God's purpose and mishandling something that ultimately belonged to God. So the people here are understanding the blood is important, 
The blood represents a life. The life is something that belongs to God. But the life is something that God has given to us to make atonement. We've been talking about atonement for many weeks. Atonement is the idea of a payment. It is the idea of a payment of a price in order to cover the wrongs that have been committed. If you lived in the old covenant period and you wronged your neighbor, then you would go and make things right with your neighbor by paying a price. When your neighbor accepted that payment, it was an act of mercy because they were agreeing to accept that payment. But that payment is an atonement. It is covering the wrongdoing so that there is no longer any offense, so that the two can now carry on without that grudge against one another. And so a payment, a payment signifies and realizes there is something wrong. But a payment is also trying to cover things to make things right. And here the Lord tells Israel, the blood is given for you on the altar to make atonement for your souls. The heart of the Old Testament scriptures is teaching us that the sacrificial system is about our wrongdoings, that we have done wrong against God. And the scriptures teach us that the soul that sins shall die. But God has made a way of atonement. God has provided something to pay the price of our wrongdoing in order to reconcile sinners with their God. That's at the heart of the sacrificial system. The sacrifices are recognizing there's something wrong. The blood represents the life. The life represents something that God has provided to pay the price. And as we're looking at Leviticus, at the heart of Leviticus is atonement. And at the heart of atonement is substitution. That's not a theory. That's just what the Bible teaches. That, that atonement or that the payment of sin can only be paid for by the work of another, by the life of another, who pays it in the place of sinners. That's what we looked at last time with the Day of Atonement, with the scapegoat that is driven off into the wilderness. That scapegoat is bearing the sins of the people. He's carrying it away. The only way they can have atonement is by one who takes their place. But here, that, that what was demonstrated on the Day of Atonement is being explicitly taught here in verse 11. The blood will make atonement. The blood represents the life. The life stands in your place. Life for life. And so if Israel is going to understand sin, they understand that their sin is a forfeit of life. And the only way in which they can have life with God is if another life is paid in the price, in their place. And so what does all of this have to do when we think about the new covenant? Why should we be studying Leviticus? What does all of this talk about blood have to do with anything? We all have to learn to rightly handle blood that is spilled. And when we come to the new covenant, when we come to the New Testament scriptures, the New Testament scriptures are very emphatic about how to understand Jesus.
Jesus himself is very emphatic. Jesus said, I came into this world not to, uh, to be served, but to serve and to give myself as a ransom, to give myself as a, an atonement, as a payment for sin. Jesus described his sacrifice as the payment necessary in order to secure life for sinners because he would give his life in exchange. That his blood was shed in order to bring the forgiveness of sins and eternal life. That when we think about Jesus, we have to understand his death was made to atone for sins. The people of Israel were to exercise great care with the handling of blood because the lifeblood was given to make atonement for sins at the altar. But what are we doing? What are you doing this evening with the blood that was shed at Calvary? Are we people that are receiving the blood of Christ and handling it rightly? Or are we people that are guilty of mishandling it by treating it as a light thing? as an insignificant thing that we can just ignore and carry on with? Do we recognize what God has given to us in Christ? One who has come to cover our wrongdoings in order to bring newness of life. He has paid the penalty of sin in order uh, to take away condemnation and to allow us to draw near to God. The people of Israel were uh, taught to exercise great care by looking uh, uh, to the meaning of uh, the blood. But the writer of Hebrews tells us, how much worse, worse punishment do you think will be deserved by the one who has trampled underfoot the Son of God and who has profaned the blood of the covenant? How can you profane the blood of the covenant? You profane it by disrespecting it. You profane the blood of the covenant when you smear it, when you trample it away as insignificant, when you treat the death of Christ as, in, as if it's nothing. The writer of Hebrews warns those in the church of the danger of mishandling the blood that has been shed at Calvary. The blood of Christ, the blood of the Son of God. That if we despise this, we are guilty and exposed not just to God turning his face away, but God turning his face away in judgment. To profane the blood of the covenant then is to mishandle it and failing to receive it as one's hope. Whereas to recognize the blood of the covenant in Christ's death is to recognize that Jesus' blood being shed on the cross was a gift of God and that it was a gift of God to make atonement. That's what it says there in verse 11. The Lord has given you the, uh, the blood to make atonement uh, for your soul. Israel was taught about blood. It wasn't just a barbaric practice that they were engaged in. They understood the blood is significant because it represents life. They understood that it's significant because the life represents one that dies in their place. 
that the only way they can have their sins atoned for, their soul uh, covered from God's judgment, is by the sacrifice of another. Ultimately, that's what we believe in the new covenant, that Christ came into this world to pay the penalty of sin, that whoever believes in him might have eternal life. Are we, are we rightly handling uh, the sacrifice that Christ has made? The people were taught that anyone who offers a sacrifice must offer it at the tent of meeting, and it had to be to the Lord. Any other sacrifice would not atone for their sins, and they would bear their sin. You have to bring your sacrifice to the tabernacle. You have to bring the sacrifice before the Lord. Only then can the blood atone for your sins. There are not many ways of atonement. There is one way of atonement. You can't trust in the gods of Egypt to atone for your sins. The Lord was teaching Israel there is only one way unto the Father. It is through the tabernacle. It is through the blood of sacrifice. It is through the Lord's commandment. And in a similar way, there is only one way in which we can be reconciled with God. It is through the meeting place between God and sinner and the one who tabernacled amongst us, the Lord Jesus, the one whose blood has been shed and the one who welcomes sinners in himself. So the writer of Revelation says, for you were slain, speaking about Christ, for you were slain and by your blood you ransomed people from every tribe and language and people and nation. Christ's blood was to ransom the sins of many. For everyone who treated his death as something precious. Leviticus may seem morbid, it may seem disconnected, but it's very relevant for understanding the work of God. Blood is sacred. The blood represents the life. God has given the blood to make atonement for your soul. Any Israelite could understand that. And it's pointing forward to the Lamb of God, whose blood was shed in order to atone for our sins. What are you doing with the blood? Are you mishandling it by ignoring it? Or are you delighting in it by trusting it as God's gift and as God's atoning sacrifice? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do pray that as we think about these images, as we think about these rules of the old covenant, we pray, Lord, that we would see how purposeful uh, they are that the people of God were not to be mindless in their activities, but that they were being taught the elementary principles of your gospel, that they were learning that there must be a price paid for sin, that the price was a payment that God himself ultimately would provide, that it is ultimately according to your command that we can be reconciled to you, and so we pray, Lord, that we would be people who are not guilty of trampling underfoot the blood of the covenant, but to recognize the work of God in Jesus Christ. 
So go before us, we pray, and help us to live in light of Christ's work and to hope in him for eternal life. In Jesus' name, amen.